Welcome to the Get Over Yourself podcast. This is author and athlete Brad Kearns discovering ways to be healthy, fit, and happy in hectic, high-stress modern life. So let's slow down and take a deep breath, take a cold plunge, and expertly balance that competitive intensity with an appreciation of the journey. That's the theme of the show. Here we go. The Get Over Yourself podcast is brought to you by Almost Heaven, beautiful compact home use sauna kits, ancestral supplements, grass-fed organ meats in a capsule, DNA Fit, genetic testing for custom diet and exercise recommendations, Integro Health, high-potency liquid probiotic called Flourish, Organifi, organic powdered superfoods, delicious green, gold, and red powders, Wild Idea Buffalo, sustainable, grass-fed, beyond organic, and check out the bradkerns.com slash shop page. That's my personal selection of favorite products for health, fitness, and peak performance. And here we go with the show. We have a world of people who are either overtrained or undertrained. There are too few of us in the middle, and that's really sad. And the overtrained people are no better off than the undertrained people. All these stories you hear about, you know, mothers who, you know, their child is under the car and stuck and the mother lifts the car. I mean, how does that happen? It goes back to the autonomic nervous system we talked about earlier, is that we all have this capability. But how do we translate that to getting stronger without getting sore? We have a very serious epidemic of weakness throughout the world. And I'm not just talking about people who are couch potatoes. Let's talk about ancestral supplements. If you're into ancestral health, primal paleo, keto, you know the importance of consuming these unique agents contained in bone marrow, in the nose-to-tail organ meats, liver, kidney, all that stuff, the great bone broth benefits. Well, how's it going? For me, since years ago when Dr. Kate Shanahan asserted the importance of these wonderful nutritional benefits that you can't get elsewhere, eh, not too good. I don't know how to cook a liver or a kidney, but now your problems are solved forever when you go to ancestralsupplements.com, a wonderful company filled with people who are living the dream, walking their talk, and bottling up the purest, cleanest sources of grass-fed organ meats, kidney, liver, bone marrow, all in these wonderful capsules. I dump them in my smoothie every day. I'm healthy. I don't have to worry. It's an incredible dietary boost. And this is so different from swallowing a bunch of those synthetic vitamins and those giant bottles from the big box stores, highly questionable health practice. This stuff is the real deal. Grass-fed organ meats, pure as can be, ancestralsupplements.com. Hey, listeners, it's more from Dr. Phil Maffetone. Hope you enjoyed the previous show. And in this show, we focus on athletic peak performance and where we are headed, the future 
Is someone going to break the two-hour marathon? Can a human do it? Yes, it's possible. Phil wrote a book called 159 and has some radical theories about how it's going to be done. Hint, he thinks that it's going to happen by a barefoot runner because you're saving the weight of those shoes and using the full capabilities of your barefoot to spring off the ground and absorb impact properly. Radical stuff. Yes, this guy is out there off the beaten track. That's what makes him so brilliant and such a pioneer and the leader in transitioning the crazy ideals of endurance training into something that's more sensible where you pursue your fitness goals and balance your health as well. That's what Phil's all about. So in this show, he gets into some interesting tips and tricks where you can challenge yourself with high-intensity fitness efforts, uh, but not compromise your health and break down that happens so easily when you do these overly stressful high-intensity workouts. So short bursts, things like that. He has a concept called slow weights. Uh, I did a show called micro workouts, same kind of concept where you do these really brief bouts of uh, strength, explosive strength, and then go about your busy day without trashing your body and asking for prolonged recovery. So let's hear from the pioneer in endurance training, more wonderful insights. I think you'll love his meandering style where we're just cruising through the conversation. But listen carefully because he comes up with these kind of a one-liner sometimes, and it's a brilliant insight that really leads to uh, wonderful breakthroughs for yourself when you consider this stuff and implement it and be willing to expand your mind and go off the beaten path with some of these insights. Dr. Phil Maffetone, enjoy. This amazing phenomenon has been taking place in the marathon scene that you predicted uh, a while back. You actually published a book called 159 about the the amazing, possibly uh, distant dream of an athlete breaking two hours for the marathon, which if you calculate the running pace is an insane pace per mile that any jogger can associate and just shake their head because uh, we're talking about uh, 439, 438 per mile. And now, uh, Eluid Kipchoge, uh, one of the greatest distance runners who's ever seen on earth, uh, the, definitely the best marathoner, is, is knocking on the door. He just did a 201.39 in Berlin in the uh, middle of 2018. What do you think, Phil? Uh, no surprise. Uh, Kipchoge was uh, one of the candidates I listed in my book. Um, at the time when I was writing the book, uh, he had um, he had won some big 5K races. He was a great middle distance runner. I mean, I think when he was 18, he you know he won uh, the world championships and beat um, the Moroccan who was you know who had run sub eight minutes for two miles, and so. I, and then I think he 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 ran his first marathon maybe by the time I was finishing the book I don't I don't remember, but he had run um, and won the Hamburg Marathon in Germany and and was you know ran two hundred five or something and I just and that was really irrelevant although having a positive marathon uh, as your first event is is very helpful because it's such an experience based race. But the fact that he was such a great 5K runner and then he moved up intelligently to the marathon made him a 159 candidate in in my book, literally. Um, 
And so this is no surprise. Uh, I'm, I'm a little concerned about him being abused uh, because he participated in that uh, Nike stunt uh, whenever that was, uh, last year or whenever, um, where, you know, they, they had this really, it, it was just a stupid event. Um, it was a stunt. And it was a it was a marketing campaign. Yeah, they and, tried to organize a uh, unofficial attempt at breaking two hours by having the athletes run around a automobile racetrack with pacers and all these things that are illegal and inauthentic to an actual race. And at that point, he ran just over two hours, two hours and thirty six seconds or something. So it was all uh, documented and uh, branded by Nike. So uh, the yeah, pure runners, you know. Hoax. And but but it continues because he's you know this is this is a problem that I've always um, talked about with uh, the athletes I work with because it was a stress and uh, how much are you going to let your sponsors dictate how many public appearances can can a person make around the world in the course of a year? Well, um, if you're you know if you're sponsored by a company and they're paying you money, they want you to appear in as many places around they don't care how much you travel um and and that wears athletes down and i'm seeing it happen with kipchoge and um um hopefully uh he, you know he's he's gonna uh recover from that uh and and of course you know breaking the world record in berlin uh just a couple of months ago has got him back on the circuit um, most likely, and um, hopefully, you know he'll he'll be around a few more years because at at a I, I don't know how old he is. Is he thirty two? Yeah, thirty three, something like that. Yeah. So he he in my eyes he has not reached his marathon peak yet, and so at this stage in this countdown to to one fifty nine, like. You know, back in the 50s when Bannister was trying to break four minutes, um, we get closer and closer. And now we're not talking about big leaps anymore. We're talking about a nudge. Uh, what's going to nudge a runner to 159? What's going to nudge Kipchoge or or others? Uh, there's, there's probably a, a, a number of marathoners who are capable if, if they have the right nudge. What's gonna What's gonna be the nudge for Kipchoge? I, I think one thing, which will never happen, um, unless he loses his contract with Nike, is that if he just ran the next marathon barefoot, it could nudge him to one fifty nine. Well, that, if you're running on a paved road. I mean, your your argument is that the, the there's less weight on the foot, which is a massive uh, performance variable. There's there's charts you can find them on the internet where if you switch from training shoes to racing flats, you can save 11 minutes off your marathon time due to the the six less ounces on each foot. But I'm wondering, like the the the, uh, the traction on a paved road is that going to be compromised by barefoot versus a a shoe with a rubber grip on it? I don't think so. Uh, the the bigger question is, can he physically do it after all these years of running in shoes? He he no doubt grew up running barefoot. 
Uh, he ran to school and, you know, those kids didn't, you know, their families didn't have money. And so a lot of them didn't have shoes and they got their first shoes when they, you know, won a local race. Um, because the, the shoe companies are all there handing out shoes. Um, and so, you know, can he revert back to barefoot running? I don't know that he runs barefoot at all. He may or he may not, but the barefoot running he did, uh, enabled him to run longer and longer distances barefoot. And it enabled him as a young, a young person to develop that that spring mechanism, which is really one of the amazing things in the human body, where you you hit the ground and then your your foot takes the gravitational energy from hitting the ground and it absorbs that energy into the foot and the and the leg. It's it's stored in the in the, the tendons in particular. And then the body is able to take that energy and convert it to mechanical energy, much like sunlight comes to Earth. It's it it goes through photosynthesis, and humans eat uh, those plants, or they eat the animals that eat the plants, and that energy is continually converted. Uh, in our bodies, when we talk about fat burning and sugar burning, um, so in this case, it's gravitational energy that is converted to mechanical energy to propel an athlete to move forward. Now, when you when you become proficient at running barefoot as a young child, when you eventually put shoes on, you're still pretty pretty good at that propulsion. Um, but I th- I think it's enough of a of a of a a benefit that someone like Kipchoge could be w- with again with the right day like he had in Berlin this year um could be propelled to uh 15959 um and there's you know there it, in my book I talked about all kinds of things that that runners could do but but they were still running you know 3 uh 2 204 or I don't remember. Uh, they were still several minutes away, and to get several minutes off a world marathoner's time uh, would require a lot of different things. Well, it still requires a lot of different things potentially, but it'll it'll only take one or two of them, and the the shoe issue is one. The other is um, a biomechanical. Balancing act, I call it, whereby athletes in the course of training have a tremendous amount of wear and tear, even the ones that train properly. And you know, you go out and run, run for two hours on your long Sunday run. That's a lot of wear and tear. You feel it the next day. You feel it by the end of your run, but certainly by the next day, you feel like you've run for two hours. Why do you feel it? Well, that's because of the wear and tear on the body, and primarily that comes from the muscles. The joints are affected, the bones, the ligaments, you know, all the soft tissue, but the muscles are what are affected the most, and it's the muscles that have to recover and bring you back to a a good feeling Monday morning or Tuesday morning when you, you, you know, after you take a day off or whatever, 
And this wear and tear builds up. And having worked with athletes for a long, long time, one of the things I always did was, in addition to all the training and nutrition, dietary stuff, was to help them uh, balance their muscles right up until race day, right up until the gun goes off, literally sometimes, um, working on these muscles to, to fine tune them. Um, it, it, it's like a race car, you know? I mean, if you, if you don't tune up the race car's engine, it's not going to run as well. And for years that, you know, race cars were just, you know, people just had cars and they went to the track. And when, then they started realizing, Hey, if we, uh, if we tune this up so that the air flow is better or the, the, you know, the wheels are turning in a particular way, we could take minutes off, you know, a 500 mile race. Um, and I don't think that has happened yet in sports. There are a number of people who, a number of professionals who do that. But uh, for the most part, it's it's not being done. So I think that's another thing that could nudge him because it improves body, uh, it improves running economy. It can improve running economy significantly. Greetings, my fitness-minded listeners. I want to acquaint you with the Primal Fitness Expert Certification Program, the most comprehensive home study multimedia fitness education course in the world. If you want to enhance your personal knowledge of all aspects of leading a healthy, active, fit lifestyle, this total immersion course will be life-changing. I'm the lead instructor and author of the course, and we have 14 chapters of extensive written content with over 100 accompanying videos covering topics such as general everyday movement, including micro-workouts and dynamic workstation tips, the full experience of gym-based strength training and all the different modalities, a complete presentation on all aspects of sprinting, both running and low-impact options, an assortment of high-intensity interval training and high-intensity repeat training strategies, a detailed education on the principles and practical application of aerobic endurance training, and extensive commentary, the most you will find in any publication, on all aspects and symptoms of overtraining and burnout. We even have fascinating peripheral topics like integrating nasal diaphragmatic breathing, dynamic stretching, injury prevention, and developing a peak performance mindset. It's really something, this course. We went all out for over two years with a great team to develop this amazing home-based fitness education for you. And you get one-on-one expert email support and private Facebook group connection throughout your studies to ensure that you absorb everything optimally and you pass your series of exams and get certified. So go to primalhealthcoach.com slash Brad to enjoy a very special limited time. And I'm not kidding. This is a big time discount just for you. 25% off your tuition. A fantastic premium offer at primalhealthcoach.com slash Brad for the most comprehensive fitness course you can ever find. 
I want to discuss the incredible benefits of red light therapy and how you can get started with Mito Red Light. Mito, like mitochondria, red light makes the premier light therapy devices in the world and at incredibly affordable prices. I stand in front of my Mito Pro 1500 unit every morning, carefully exposing my eyeballs, other important balls, and my entire body to special wavelengths of red and near infrared for red light. When I tell people about my daily devotion to red light therapy, they typically ask, does this stuff really work? And the answer is yes. And there are thousands of studies supporting its effectiveness. Here's how. It's called photobiomodulation where specific wavelengths of red and near-infrared light, red's visible, near-infrared is not visible, that's why it looks like only half of your panel's working, these wavelengths help mitochondria in cells throughout your body produce more energy and clear waste products more efficiently. Red light exposure helps mobilize nitric oxide trapped in the mitochondria and allows oxygen to return to the cell and increase ATP production. The the benefits are proven again and again for skin health, muscle recovery, joint pain, and numerous inflammatory conditions. Red light therapy is also beneficial for circadian rhythm alignment because we generally get far too little direct sunlight and too much indoor blue light from screens and light bulbs at the wrong times. You don't hear much about this benefit of red light therapy, but when I turn on those lights, first thing in the morning. As soon as I wake up, I walk across the hall, I stand in front of the panels, and I feel instantly awake and energized. And believe me, there's a lot of days where Mr. Health Guy here wakes up feeling a little groggy and a little whiny, like I don't want to right get up now and get into my morning exercise routine. But when I stand in front of the lights, in one minute, I swear I feel wide awake. I get all that grogginess out naturally. It's super powerful, super effective, besides all the healing and the cellular benefits. I also love it for being a natural wake-up machine. You have to try red light therapy. I am certain that you will become a devoted user. And guess what? Mito Red Light offers a 60-day no-risk trial period and a special 5% discount for BRAD podcast listeners. Just visit mitoredlight, M-I-T-O, redlight.com, and use the code BRAD on any of their products. Go for it today and get started on your red light journey. Are you talking about a typical massage therapy, deep tissue treatment for athletic massage? Or no. Are there other modalities that are no, also effective? I, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about evaluating this is very individual, so we need to evaluate the individual's gait and posture. And then, you know, when you look at someone's gait and you see some irregularity, um, it's because there's muscle imbalance. And uh, assessing muscle imbalance, you can do by visually observing the gait, getting an idea, oh, this is the gluteus medius muscle that's causing that excess tilt to the left more than to the right. And then uh, posture um, is another part of that. And then uh, physically evaluating the muscles uh, with manual muscle testing. And then when you determine the, the cause of muscle imbalance, you can then use biofeedback to correct it. And it's, it's, it's not 
we're not talking about having to lift weights to get stronger. We're talking about a neurological phenomenon where um, muscles in the, in the process of wear and tear, muscles uh, develop imbalance. And an imbalanced uh, state is two or more muscles where one is too loose and one is too tight. And that affects the joint, it affects the posture, it affects the gait. And over a, the course of a marathon, it affects running economy significantly. Because running at the same pace, as an example, with muscle imbalance, could raise your heart rate five or six beats. Oof. And obviously over a marathon, that's, that's going to be quite dramatic. So if, if we want to go look for a certain type of practitioner that can help us with the muscle balance, is this sort of a ART person, or what kind of things do you support uh, the, the people out there doing this kind of work? Uh, good question. Um, there are a lot of uh, practitioners who use manual muscle testing as one of their assessment tools. And it's one of their assessment tools because you have to have the whole package. You have to do a good history. You have to know uh, what questions to ask. You have to evaluate the diet because that affects muscles. Uh, you have to be able to look at the gait. You have to understand sports, et cetera, et cetera. And then um, once you assess an imbalance, how you correct it, may be related to what your level, what your area of expertise is, but it really doesn't matter. I don't care how you fix muscle imbalance as long as you actually correct it. And so it's the assessment that's really important. And a lot of it is asking around um, who does uh, muscle testing in their, in their office, and, um, and that's, that's a good starting point. Then, of course, we have all the dietary improvements we can make. And then with the uh, emphasis on aerobic training and avoiding those overly stressful workouts or the pattern of overly stressful workouts, I think we'll start, if we're talking to the general audience about how to improve their time, not that they're worried about breaking two hours, but you can honor these lessons that the, uh, the, the elite runners are showing us, the elite athletes in every sport, about how to do it right. Correct, and you know the the elite athletes, the the lead pack. Um, they're the only ones improving. Everyone else, from a from a sports standpoint, so all the other marathoners are slowing down. Now, not everyone, but you know there are there are age group uh, records being broken. Um, people, you know, in their short span of, of, you know, getting into the marathon will run a personal best. But as a whole, um, people are slowing down and they have been for, for decades. And it's, it's really said it, it's, it's correlated with the increase in excess body fat, coincidentally, uh, which is no surprise. Well, there's also increased participation uh, in these 
in these marathon events, unlike the old days where only serious runners would dream of of running 26 miles and now you go to LA Marathon and if you're if you're not entered in it you'll get funny looks at the Pilates studio or going to the uh, the nearby Whole Foods market so i guess it's a positive that people are are going out and, uh, and and getting onto the starting line rather than seeing a smaller field but definitely running vastly slower the average participant or even the even the number of people that are breaking three hours has declined over time, even as the fields have gotten uh, much bigger. It, it's it's true that it's great to see uh, participation, um, you know, continually improve, continually going up. But it's not why people have slowed down. Because when you look at the statistics, when you look at the data, the new participation factor is is considered in in that assessment and um, not not counting those new folks coming in and walking a marathon for example or or jogging and walking and jogging and walking um, that has been factored into this issue of people getting slower it's not just in marathons it's it's it, the statistics are including i think including 5 and 10k or five or maybe maybe five k ten k half marathons and marathons. If you look at the the the, the data, um, but this this you know this was evident for me in the eighties uh, by by looking at um, by by taking a good history. Patient would come in. Uh, I would do a long history. Uh, oh, you've been you've been running ten k's. How long? How long you've been running? Uh, five years. Okay. Uh, when was your last PR? Oh, three years ago. Um, that was a typical response, and um, and I, I I hadn't seen that in the seventies. It it just you know was was evident, and then and then correlating with the overfat pandemic was was a clear observation as well, and now. The data of all that stuff is quite clear. So what's going on? Are the training methods inferior, or is it mostly the diet aspect? I, I think uh, it's a combination of both, um, although it, it's, it's, you know, what's more primary? Well, the diet is more primary to the training. So what you do with your diet affects your training. You cannot, as Tim Noakes says, run away from a bad diet. Um, <laughs> you can't outrun a bad diet. I love it. Yeah, you. So uh, uh, you know, growing up in the in the running boom, we uh, thought you could. Everybody, you know, I'd be at a part. You know, I mean, I was new in practice, so I actually went to parties because I thought, well, I got to get to know people. And I go to these, um, you know, running parties, and um, they they'd see me watching the meat. They'd say, "Oh, oh, you're you're the guy that doesn't want people to eat sugar." I said, "Well, yeah, it's because it's not healthy." Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna run it off tomorrow. I'm gonna run an extra mile. And I'd say, "Well, you're gonna run an extra mile. You're gonna burn more sugar calories, but you're not gonna burn any more fat calories." And then. They'd walk away, and you know, I'd I'd make another enemy. <laughs> it, 
it wasn't good for meeting women. <laughs> uh, this, you, you have to, any good date ends with a, a, a treat at the dessert shop, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it sounds like we're uh, on to uh, another show in, in the sports realm. Are you okay on your time, Phil? I'm okay with Okay, my time. good. I, I have some questions for you. Uh, for some some common themes that the the primal endurance listeners readers are are weighing in on, and one of them, uh, especially of particular interest to me, is as we get advancing in our years, uh, do we need to rethink the basic premise of these endurance goals that are so popular, uh, especially the the landmark distances of the marathon and the Ironman if you happen to be a triathlete. And is this sort of, uh, is this young person's game and then starts to become inherently unhealthy because we're over 40 or over 50 or over 60? What do you think about that? I don't think the age is the factor. I think the health and fitness of the person is the factor. Um, and in fact, the in in endurance sports, you know, even five k, ten k, half marathon, marathon, triathlon, um, and especially the ultra events, um, young people need to be careful because they're the ones vulnerable to get hurt because of their age. And as we get into the you know later twenties. And into our 30s, like earlier I said Kipchoge was, you know, just not quite at his prime yet at age 32, 33. I think, I think for a pro marathoner, um, you could be running your best because your abilities at age 36, 37, 38, 39, that's where you're hitting your peak. Um you know, it was it was no surprise to see De Costella, uh, uh, and and I may I may have this reversed, uh, win a gold medal in the marathon at age thirty nine, and then turn around and break the world record in the marathon at age forty. Um, I worked with Priscilla Welch, who who at age forty two won the New York City Marathon women's division. Um, not not a surprise you know the media you know they say well how do we how does she do that and i said well why why wouldn't she be able to do that at age 42 and of course that doesn't make a good quote so they go on and ask somebody else you know and they print in the paper well it's a freak of nature <laughs> in that example right. but but we're we're endurance animals and we you know in a sense, um, different parts of our um, physiology uh, progress and and hit peaks. Not not a, a a tight peak, not a sharp peak, but a long peak. So Kipchoge may be at a peak now, but he he could still improve until he's forty if he chooses to do that. And people are in the same boat, but that doesn't mean when you hit forty, you're you're over the hill. And uh, you can't race anymore. If you're healthy, you can still race. And depending on when you start your marathon training, 
you could be running a personal best at age 60. Um, is it healthy? Uh, it, it could be healthy. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of people don't do it in a healthy way. They, they develop, um, you know, their knee breaks down. Uh, they get exhausted. Their heart stops. You know, there's some serious problems that people are creating for themselves. And um, they're all preventable things that, that are, are simply uh, poor health and a lack of proper fitness. So it can be healthy pursuits if you do it correctly. And we've seen the proof that the, the, uh, the, the aging endurance athlete getting up there to 40. Mark Allen won Hawaii at 38 in his fastest time and so many great examples. Not all of them freaks of nature, just people that have had a sensible approach and, and built on their, their previous success and training. But what about in the explosive sports, Phil? We don't see too many examples of, of people carrying on. I know, uh, Linford Christie won the 100 meter gold medal, so he was the fastest human in the world at the age of 34, which was way older than the typical sprinter in their mid 20s. And we see some guys carrying on in the NFL and the NBA as they get up to 40, still showing that explosiveness, but it doesn't seem as common? Is there something physiological that's we're, we're going to lose it a little more uh, pronounced when we're getting up uh, after age 30 or some younger benchmark? Sure. There, 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 are, there are aging factors in, in sprinting. Uh, and the people you mentioned are uh, what we call outliers. They're, they're not, they're not you know, the norm, if you look at a bunch of athletes and, and where do they peak in their sprinting ability? Uh, most of them, uh, you know, end, you know, in the, in the mid, uh, mid, mid twenties, maybe, I don't know what the data looks like these days, but, uh, you'll see a few people who are in the late twenties and you'll see some people who are in the thirties. Um, and, uh, they're just outliers, and uh, they are uh, maintaining their fitness quite well, without a doubt. Uh, we all get slower, you know. We all start losing muscle by age 30. That's our peak of our muscle mass. And no matter what we do, we start losing some of that. And we start losing the neuromuscular uh, ability at that age. So we don't sprint as well. But what we have is the ability to be as fast as our peers at age 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, as we were when we were 18 and 20 years of age. And the nice thing about that is we have this thing called Masters Track and Field where we, we don't have to compete. You know, old, old folks like us don't have to compete against 20-year-olds. We compete against people in our age group. And that makes it, that makes it a lot of fun. And, um, and, and that can be a healthy thing as well. So I, I think there's just there's so many opportunities for people to participate in physical activities um, that that they want to participate, that they enjoy participating in. So if you're an old-time 
uh, jock back in your day, like like you were a, a track star in college, and you want to get back into it or, or continue uh, competing in some way, shape, or form. Uh, are there some modifications that you would make to the training approach on account of being fifty or sixty or, or whatever? Um, n- not a lot, but yes. Um, uh, if 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 you're gonna, you know, if you're if you want to c- compete in the sixty um, age group, for example, or the seventy age group, um, you, you've got to be a little careful because you're a little more fragile. Um, you've got to make sure you recover well. That's really a, a big, big component. Um, you can't go to the track with a bunch of masters track athletes who are in their 40s, which is often what happens. Uh, I've heard that so many times. Oh, yeah, I, I, I work out with the masters. Oh, how old are they? Well, I, most of them are in their 40s. Some are in their 50s. And you're, in, and you're 65. Um, so you, you've got to individualize it. Um, I think uh, a lot of, you know, when we talk about sprinting, a lot of benefits, um, first of all, you still have to build an aerobic base and then you put your sprinting ability on top of that and doing high intensity interval training is, is how you do that. And you can do that on a track or you can do it on the road. And there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, uh, little tricks that are low stress, quickly, to recover from workouts like uh, running at race pace for seven seconds uh, and then walking for, you know, until you're recovered, which might, might be 30 seconds or a minute. Um, And doing that twice a week, Uh, you know, we, we, so in, 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 in this kind of world where we're, we're trying to do quick things, whether it's tennis and racquetball, um, Swimming, you know, short, short distance swimming, um, uh, even golf, um, you know, you've got explosive activities and we need to be careful because when we're, when we're 60 and 70 and we're swinging a golf club, we're more vulnerable to little imbalances, those muscle imbalances, as an example, than we, than we, when we don't recover as well. So we, we need to be careful, but um, having a great aerobic system is is a requirement, and then uh, recovering is important. And the 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 human body has the ability to run across the street when it starts to lightning outside, and we're you know we're, we're there's nowhere we could hide. Uh, we can't go in a building, so we have to run across the street to go into a building. Well. Everyone can do that. Everyone who can walk will be able to, to, to do that um, at varying paces. But we have this autonomic nervous system that goes into fight-flight mode. And when it does, we can do amazing feats. We have amazing strength. And so we already have that sprinting ability. We can, we can get that, that, that serve that seems to be so far away from us on the tennis court um, easier than you think. But we have to have the foundation, that aerobic system, and then we have to, uh, we have to perform those, those feats um, in, in 
in the course of, uh, of training, but we also have to recover. And in, in people, once, once you get to 50 and above, you're recovering because of muscles, because of the neuromuscular, um, slightly less, uh, uh, proficiency, our recovery takes longer and we have to, we have to let the body recover. And if we don't, we get in trouble. What kind of parameters do you recommend to assess whether the the subject is recovered and ready for another explosive workout? Uh, people who are experienced and honest with themselves <laughs> can use... Uh, <laughs> Wait, experience and honest? Wait. Uh, both things at once. What a package. Um, can use, you know, how do you feel in the morning when you wake up? If you wake up and you just, you know, you touch the floor and you're, oh, man, your joints are like, whoa, what's going on? That's not what it's all about. And so um, if you're feeling that way, you're not you're not recovered and you're not going to recover that day, most likely. Um, what I still like to see people do um even track and field athletes, even tennis, whoever you are, if 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 your goal is to measure something that is indicative of improved health and improved fitness, the 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 whole package, do an MAF test because if you're getting slower on your your walk, your ride, your jog at a submax heart rate, however you want to do this MAF test, if you're getting slower, there's a problem. Now, you, you do slow down over the years, over the decades, um, but I'm talking about in a relatively short period of time. If, you, if you're going out, if you're, if you're 65 years old, you go out and you, you can jog at your um, MAF heart rate and you can jog at a, a 9.30 pace. Um, and then all of a sudden you notice, oh, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm now at 10-minute pace. That's a problem. That's a red flag. And you've got to stop and say, hey, what am I doing wrong? Because that should not happen. Right. It's either overstress, overtraining, or you're sitting on your butt too much and, and declining fitness. But the latter one is so improbable to the the listening audience and the people that are devoted to fitness, it's almost always that we're over the edge with uh, some component of life that's not promoting good recovery. Yeah, we, we, we have a world of people who are either overtrained or undertrained. <laughs> and there, there are too few of us in the middle. And, and that's really sad. Um, and the overtrained people are, are no uh, better off than the undertrained people. Well, look at the heart, uh, the heart disease risk factors and the, the increased incidence of AFib with the, the long-term devoted athletes. It's almost like uh, a race between the, the, uh, the, the junk food chomp and video gaming person next door. You guys are both blasting your hearts in, in, uh, mm -hmm. into, into illness and disease. Yeah, I, I, I wrote a, a, a paper with a sociologist a few years ago on uh, the sociology, I, I forgot what it's called. It's the sociology of no pain, no gain. Basically, showing that no pain, no gain is a concept that 
began uh, many, many years ago uh, with Benjamin Franklin, actually, and and not in the sports world, but the sports world has uh, adopted it as 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 you know their own mantra, and and if you look at the conditions like that cardiac problem and depression and uh, the physical injuries, we see about the same prevalence in in the physically active people as we do the inactive people. So, uh, oh, that's terrible. So, so the person who threw out their back in the in the waiting room and is sitting next to you, and you're wearing your sweatsuit and holding your back, and they're holding their back, and they did it by picking up a two pound bag of flour, yep. and you yep. did it by doing your fifth CrossFit workout in the same week. Yep. Or they they intended to pick up the two pounds as they were reaching for it, their back went out. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look at you know, and I noticed that in in. Um, in practice early on. And, um, I talked about it often and people would say, you're crazy. And if, if you just, if you just talk to clinicians, um, who, who look at these things, they, they know that. And, and then in recent years, um, we started seeing studies that, that talked about this. And I referenced some of them in that article that is on my website. Now, you also mentioned uh, you don't want people to be sore after their strength training sessions, and I'm personally having a hard time with that here at age 53 and trying to go hit my hexagonal deadlift bar on a regular basis or do other fun stuff in the gym. I'm not super consistent where I'm going in there three times a week for an hour. I'm, I'm trying to be more intuitive and do these brief explosive workouts, but I'm often finding that uh, muscle soreness come up the next day because whether I'm my, my approach is flawed or it's just a, a, a function of uh, needing needing to tone down the intensity of the workout, I don't know. A good question. Um, this is a this is a big problem. Uh, we have a very serious epidemic of weakness throughout the world, and I'm not just talking about people who are couch potatoes. I'm talking about runners, for example, endurance endurance athletes. Um, and um. And, and most people know when they're weak, uh, but if you want to evaluate it, there's a couple of ways of doing it. One is you can get a grip strength um, device where you squeeze. Uh, hand grip reflects um, body strength. So you can get a uh, this, these little grip devices that measure how much power you're able to, to grip. And... Um, um, and a lot of people, uh, you know, that 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 shows that they're they're very weak. The other way is to do a jump test, a standing jump test, where you um, you're barefoot, you reach up, uh, you're flat-footed, you reach up. Um, you've got to have a high ceiling to do this. You reach up, you you mark the wall, put a piece of tape on it, whatever, and then you have somebody standing on a chair watching to see how much higher you are able to jump above that mark. And it's amazing how, you know, uh, most most endurance athletes can't even get over 12 inches of jump height. <laughs> so you don't need a high ceiling after all. 
Well, maybe you don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so 12 inches. Do you have some benchmarks from, uh, from research that are, uh, you know, basic objective, uh, exceptional, any, any numbers out there? I know we have the, the MBA guys where we're talking about their 36-inch vertical leap and so forth. Um, I, I have a lot of data on that, yes. Um, but it, it's best to look at, you know, what happens to, say, uh, a runner as they age, what happens to a runner? Well, Kipchoge, okay. Um, when he was running five thousand meters and 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 winning, um, I bet his jump height was was close to to twenty five thirty inches. That's so because, funny because the, the marathon has long been the dumping ground for the endurance athletes that didn't have enough speed to be competitive at 5 and 10K. And now we're looking at the guy who's going to shatter the records and win the gold medals. It has this explosive power in his body as well as the ability to handle uh, the endurance regimen, which probably, uh, you know, Wade Van Niekerk probably couldn't do that well as a marathoner, the guy who just broke the, the world record in the 400 meters. So at some point, you're going to sacrifice your explosiveness is going to be difficult to train into a marathon person. It, but That's true. Yeah. That's true. But when I, when I saw Kipchoge's 5K history, I knew he was potentially a, a great marathoner in the making if he could just hold on to enough of that um, strength, that that is lower body strength. And so, um, uh, so fast forward to to um, the gym, your workout, your muscle soreness that you develop. When we get sore, the muscle gets weaker. And the the you know now we we have to look at tradition. What does tradition dictate in in weightlifting circles in strength training circles? Um, tradition dictates that we work out hard, we fatigue the muscle, which means we get sore, and um, and then the muscle recovers, and it takes twenty four hours. Actually, it takes seventy two hours in many cases um, to recover. Hey, ladies. You may have heard me talk about Gaines Wave treatment for improving male penile vascular health and sexual function, and maybe you thought, hey, what about my needs? Well, Gaines Wave has got you covered with a revolutionary new treatment protocol called Gaines Wave for Her. As with the male Gainswave treatment, a skilled practitioner uses a handheld device to send low-intensity shock waves into your vaginal area to stimulate a healing response, promote increased blood circulation, and the growth of new blood vessels. After a series of 6 to 12 very brief treatments, which are painless but extremely effective, you get real results with Gainswave reporting an 80% success rate. Some benefits... You will revitalize your intimate relationships with heightened sensation and arousal and enhance pleasure and satisfaction. Don't contemplate invasive procedures or uncomfortable medical treatments. Regain confidence and reclaim your sexuality with Gaines Wave for her. 
you visit the website gainswave.com g-a-i-n-s-w-a-v-e dot com slash brad to find a practitioner in your area you complete a series of treatments and the beneficial effects will last for a long time especially if you eat and exercise well to promote overall vascular health it's a tune-up for your equipment so please visit gainswave.com slash brad to find a practitioner in your area and take advantage of my special promo that you'll mention when you find your local practitioner. Buy six treatments and get one free. Greetings, my fitness-minded listeners. I want to acquaint you with the Primal Fitness Expert Certification Program, the most comprehensive home study multimedia fitness education course in the world. If you want to enhance your personal knowledge of all aspects of leading a healthy, active, fit lifestyle, this total immersion course will be life-changing. I'm the lead instructor and author of the course, and we have 14 chapters of extensive written content with over 100 accompanying videos covering topics such as general everyday movement, including micro-workouts and dynamic workstation tips, the full experience of gym-based strength training and all the different modalities, a complete presentation on all aspects of sprinting, both running and low-impact options, an assortment of high-intensity interval training and high-intensity repeat training strategies, a detailed education on the principles and practical application of aerobic endurance training, and extensive commentary, the most you will find in any publication, on all aspects and symptoms of overtraining and burnout. We even have fascinating peripheral topics like integrating nasal diaphragmatic breathing, dynamic stretching, injury prevention, and developing a peak performance mindset. It's really something, this course. We went all out for over two years with a great team to develop this amazing home-based fitness education for you. And you get one-on-one expert email support and private Facebook group connection throughout your studies to ensure that you absorb everything optimally and you pass your series of exams and get certified. So go to primalhealthcoach.com slash Brad to enjoy a very special limited time. And I'm not kidding. This is a big time discount just for you. 25% off your tuition. A fantastic premium offer at primalhealthcoach.com slash Brad for the most comprehensive fitness course you can ever find. And, and, and I, I wrote a, a, an article called The Weakness Window. That period of time, that 24 to 72 hour period after you do strength training is a window of weakness. Your muscles are weak because uh, you worked out to the point of fatigue and the muscles got sore and that soreness. Now that whole physiology has to be adapted to, and that's what recovery is all about. And so during that period, what are you going to do physically? Whatever you do physically, if you're going to play golf or if you're going to go for a run, uh, you're vulnerable to get injured because your muscles are weak because you you did this workout that caused them to weaken. So the answer to the problem is how can we build strength without getting weak muscles? These windows of weakness twice a week, you know, I mean, that that's a problem. Uh, it's also a problem because that approach to strength training also builds muscle bulk. And the last thing you want as 
an endurance runner is more muscle bulk because your your running economy will get trashed. You you were talking about ounces before in shoes. You know, you put on a pound or two of muscle mass, which is not difficult to do in a strength training program. <clears throat> what is that going to do to your 10K, your your marathon time? It's gonna it's gonna trash it. All right, That's some why people are, yeah. are running slower because they're in addition to the excess body fat and all the problems that that creates, there's additional weight there as well. I mean, some people want to put on bulk and put on size and have different goals or aesthetic goals or what have you, but I think the the concern there is uh, this this continued soreness. Uh, it, it's it's not pleasant. It's not enjoyable, uh, and we also have this muscle weakness. So, are there some modifications? I know people talk about doing the the positive aspect of the lift only, where you lift the weight up and then drop it, so you're not getting those eccentric contractions that lead to muscle soreness. No, I I think I think first you have to have some clear goals. What, what do you want to do? If you want to look really cool. If that's your goal, you want to look like you're a weightlifter. Well, that's my job, um, Phil. I, I have to. <laughs> oh, okay. Wait. Well, we're just doing a podcast. No one's no one's seeing us. All right. No we can, one's we seeing can, us. Okay. Um, uh, you know that's 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 one thing, and that's a problem uh, because you if you do it right, you're still going to look cool. You, you're not going to look as cool because you're not going to build these big muscles. And when I early in my practice. Uh, somehow, I, I, I know how it happened. I got one bodybuilder. I helped him. He referred a few bodybuilders. They referred a few bodybuilders. And all of a sudden, I had all these bodybuilders in my in my clinic. And I really, I really didn't like it because they were willing. That was the ultimate sport that would be more than willing to sacrifice their health and fitness just to look better. And that's not what I was all about. And so I didn't, and I ended up dismissing all of them because it was, it was painful for me to, to work with them. So if we want to be, uh, if we want to have big muscles, um, I, you know, that's another discussion. And, and in most cases, that's not what people want. If you want to look cool, you could, you can still look cool. So what you want to do is avoid the pain you want to avoid the fatigue <clears throat> you want to avoid the soreness and you can do that by lifting in in short um by lifting and you can do this with one lift you could do one lift that will give your entire body additional strength what a deal and and not get weak and not get sore and be able to run the next day be able to lift the next day, be able to lift later in the day if you want. And you do that uh, with a, uh, a deadlift or a squat where you're going to lift the weight and you're going to squat. And, and you, do, you do it so that you're able to do five or six squats without getting excessively fatigued and that amount of weight is about 80 percent of your one-time lift your one-time a bit so if you can lift a hundred pounds 
one time. That's you can only do it once because it's so much weight for your body. Okay, now you want to take 80 pounds. You should be able to lift that 80 pounds five or six times without much stress. If oh, you and do then that, no soreness the following day. So pick. If you do that, there's yeah. no soreness the following day. You're not stressing your muscles. You don't require more than a minute or two of recovery, literally. And here's the bonus you get strong. Well, think about Olympic weightlifters. Are they big, bulky people? Only no, in the heavyweight they, division. Only in the heavyweight division. Alexiev. Yeah, they don't want to move up to the next uh, to the next level because there's more competition there. They want to stay slimmer. They want to stay leaner. Yeah, Google so, uh, Google Pocket Hercules, the greatest weightlifter pound for pound of all time, and he was he looked like a little gymnast, but he was uh, lifting. Mm-hmm. As a function of his his light body weight, he was a very small man. Nayam Suleiman Oglu was one of his names. Different countries kidnapped him and changed his <laughs> name so he could represent them in the next Olympics. It was like Bulgaria and Turkey, but his nickname was Pocket Hercules because he was a Pocket Hercules. Yeah, and and all these stories you hear about, you know, mothers who 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 you know their 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 child is under the car and stuck, and the mother lifts the car. I mean. How- how does that happen? It goes back to the autonomic nervous system we talked about earlier. Is that we all have this capability, but how do we translate that to getting stronger without getting sore? And the goal in that kind of a workout, and and, and this is this is tied in with biofeedback. When I mentioned biofeedback before, this is how I help athletes get stronger by balancing their muscles. What what we're trying to do is get the brain to contract more muscle fibers within the muscle. When we lift a weight, we lift a certain we we contract a certain amount of muscle fibers. The more we contract, the more weight we lift. But we we never contract 100% of those fibers. So if we can tease the brain to gradually enlist more and more fibers to contract in a lift will automatically get stronger. And you can make somebody stronger in, you know, in, in two minutes by doing biofeedback on a particular muscle by training. This is how we treat stroke patients and brain injured uh, people is we train the brain to contract more muscle fibers. And it's not, it's not that hard to do. And in strength training, if you do it, by your your eighty percent of your one time max lift, you're going to be in the ballpark. And then it only takes one lift. So if you if you only want to do squats, how long does it take to lift a certain amount of weight, lift it up, do six squats, put it down, and walk away? That's your workout. Well, I have something called uh, slow weights. Slow weights is you've got you've got a barbell over there in your living room or in your bedroom or in your kitchen, wherever, and it's sitting there on the floor. And whenever you have a moment as you're walking by, you pick it up and you do six repeats of whatever, squat, say. 
And over the course of a day, maybe you do that three, four, five times, six times. Over the course of a week, maybe you do it 20, 25, 30, 40, 50 times. Man, you're going to get, you're going to get strong. And if you're not used to lifting, you're going to, you're not going to bulk up, but you're going to, you're going to look like, you're going to look cool. Oh, and because you're only doing one set at a time, you're not going to get this completely. Uh, this full fatigue scene like you do coming out of an hour CrossFit. If you're exactly right, okay, and so uh, even doing and yet you're getting and yet you're getting stronger. And what happens is as you do this over the the weeks, and you get stronger, you get to your your six reps, and you say, "Wow, this is this is too easy." You don't add reps. You add weight. Mm. So this is different from the traditional go to the gym, do 12 reps, do 13. Come on, you can do one more. You can get to 15. That's trashing your body. You, you don't need to do that. In, in some sports you do. In, in, you know, if you're, if you're a, a, a linebacker, if you're, you know, if you're on the basketball team and you're, you're 110 pounds, it's going to be really difficult to survive. So you're going to have to put on some weight. But for most people, uh, they don't need to do that. They need to get stronger, though. And, you know, the funny thing is people who put on a lot of bulk are not necessarily stronger. Those, those bodybuilders I was talking about, they're all weak. A big muscle is not necessarily strong, and a small muscle is not necessarily weak. You know, we we've all seen the skinny guy, uh, you know, beat up the the big um, muscle guy in in martial arts or whatever. You know, strength is not <clears throat> um, dependent on muscle size; it's dependent on how many fibers you contract, and that's a function. How many fibers you contract, which is a function of the brain. Right, so the opposite example of, of your description where you're recruiting more fibers to, to lift the weight, to, to get your nervous system functioning more optimally and, and doing, doing the best it can with the existing muscle, uh, the hypertrophy workout where you tear apart your muscles, you get really sore, you go for a prolonged workout till you're depleting all the glycogen and walk out of there exhausted and then refuel with the giant uh, protein smoothies with plenty of sugar and other crap in there, <laughs> that's when you blow up and get these huge muscles, which we mistakenly believe uh, is more and more strength than the bigger size muscle. Yep, yep. And and it's just not true that the bigger muscle is stronger. And <clears throat> but But the problem is that we have created an environment that is a horror show and when when you uh, injure yourself and you go to a physical therapist and they do some tests and they say you know you're you're pretty weak or you're a runner <clears throat> you want to run a better marathon and you get evaluated and you can't jump more than 11 inches you're pretty weak okay um what is that person going to do they're going to look at the gym environment they're going to see these big macho people sweating looking in the mirror at themselves lifting weights men and women and 
they're not going to do it. And if you're, if you're not a physically active person to begin with, and you uh, break your hip at age 55, and the therapist says, you, you, your muscles are very weak, you have to get stronger, although, otherwise you're going to have another um, fracture. Uh, where are you going to go? You're not going to go to the gym. You're not going to go into that environment. Uh, and so the result is that we, we have this severe epidemic of weak people. Um, many of them are active people, many of which are endurance athletes. But um, Not naming a, any names, but <laughs> many of you are endurance athletes. No <laughs> offense. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a reason we could make a good argument to say that the reason for slower times over the decades is because of a trend of weakness that has also occurred. Um, um, it, it, it you know that that could be a good theory. It could be a solid theory, but the point is. We want to individualize it, and we want to know, um, do you have excess muscle weakness? And if you're trying to run a better 10K or a better trail race, you by doing nothing else, uh, getting stronger is going to help immensely. And and do, you know do the do the standing. Uh, I know that some gyms have equipment where you can stand on a mat and it'll time how long you're in the air and all that stuff. Those are great. Um, but you could do it at home. Um, and if you, if you can't jump, you know, more than, I don't, it depends on your age and, and all kinds of things. But, you know, if you're, if you're, if you can't get well over 12 inches, you're, you know, you need to get stronger and even if you can if you can get to 15 you can still get stronger and it'll reflect in better jumping ability and then you know you're getting stronger and that should uh translate into better race times and 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 not only better race times but better health number one and better fitness number two what a great goal to pair with improving your maximum aerobic function test. So you have that aerobic yep. efficiency where you run around the track. I like to go eight laps, Phil, and, and peg my heart rate at my uh, maximum aerobic heart rate and then, and then time myself. And then to try to improve vertical jump, or as you know, I'm an enthusiast of the high jump, so I have the, the graphic reminder there of uh, yep. what pegs yep. the bar are at. And then each passing year, um, not getting any younger, hopefully the bar <laughs> <laughs> is not is not lowering at a faster rate than my age is increasing, and it's it's possible to to unwind a lot of these things that we consider to be aging. Just with, I mean, I'm I'm going to make some modifications to my training schedule to uh, eliminate those incidences of muscle soreness and go by my deadlift bar more frequently during the day and and do. Uh, you know, it, it, yeah, I do about six reps. So if I can do that three, four, five, six times a day, oh my gosh, that's going to add up to be a tremendous improvement in strength over a very short time without that repercussion yep. of the the breakdown burnout from these exhausting workouts. Yep, without a doubt. And and you know, you you want to use um, intelligence in in that approach. You want to um, you know not get out of bed and go pick up your bar. You want to 
have have been moving around a while so that you're warmed up or or do a warm up of an active warm up um uh if you're not eating enough protein for example uh it's going to be really difficult to get stronger um you know if you're if you're a, a, a vegan it's not going to be easy uh, i can guarantee you that so <laughs> no so, offense again uh you no, no weak offense. vegan endurance athlete get out there and lift that deadlift bar man and go eat some eggs afterward yeah Hey, Phil, I appreciate you spending the time. What a great show. So many wonderful insights. And I know you're uh, doing some, some cool things over there at the website. So can you give a plug for the new products, uh, the, the naturally sourced vitamins, as opposed to the, 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 uh, the mechanized crap that we see at the big box stores and how to get some? Uh, sure. We're, you know, we're always putting out new articles every week. Uh, we've got some, some uh, bigger projects um, uh, shortly um, coming out, ebooks and stuff. We have a new line of dietary supplements made from real, uh, real food, uh, real products that are not dangerous. Um, um, a multiple vitamin mineral product, uh, the B vitamins, all active B vitamins, which I don't think there's a product like that on the market um, right now. Um, natural vitamin C, you know, the synthetic vitamin Cs. Um, it's well known that they can impair endurance along with uh, the high-dose vitamin E. Um, but, but wait, when we, when we buy vitamins at the big box store, everyone says, well, it can't hurt. They can hurt. <laughs> you know, they can hurt, actually. The dangers <laughs> of synthetic vitamins, this, there's a severe problem today with, with – I, I have an article – I, it's coming out in the next week or two, um, and it has to do with um, synthetic folic acid. Folic acid being the synthetic version of folate, as as it's found in the active form, which we use in our B complex. But folate, when it gets into the skin and is exposed to light, is a cancer causing, cancer promoting substance. And, um, of course, everyone listening uh, to the show most likely goes out to exercise and um, exposing folic acid to, to sunlight, uh, even if it's early in the day or late in the day, even artificial light will do it. It converts that chemical into something really bad. Um, so the, um, the, 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 the synthetic uh, vitamins are found in all processed foods because they're they're um uh they're fortified they're found in in energy bars because they're fortified with this junk uh these junk vitamins and they're dangerous uh we also have a vitamin d product which has vitamin k the two forms of vitamin k which you need to make vitamin d work man talk about an epidemic the vitamin d deficiency is it's just a problem that is rampant, and the relationship between vitamin D and physical performance is really, really powerful. And if your vitamin D is not at a good level, there's no way you can perform, even if you do everything else right. Well, we also have some difference of opinion from what the doctor says is a good level and what 
Phil Maffetone says, I remember proudly uh, reporting some blood values to you, and I, I got my vitamin D up to 55, which is way off, uh, the, you know, way above the normal or what your doctor's looking for, and you, you, um, you wanted to see me even higher than that. So when the, when the patient comes back from their, their annual physical and everything looks normal, but vitamin D is down there at, at, at 31 or something, um, wh- where do you stand on that? And why is there a disparate opinion from um, the, the, the normal blood values that are touted as healthy? Well, there's a lag between the scientific evidence and the, the recommended levels that you, you have in, the, in the, the labs. And so the labs uh, want to make sure you're, you're not going to be, you know, you're not going to develop, um, you know, disease. Um, it's like, you know, the amount of vitamin C we should eat. Well, uh, you know, they base it on developing scurvy. Well, we don't just want to want to avoid scurvy. We, we want to have enough nutrient to, to be healthy. And vitamin D is, is, is no different. If we look at what prevents uh, skin cancer, how much vitamin D do we need to prevent skin cancer? There are, there are studies about that, and those numbers are well into the 60s. So I kind of use that as my minimum. I, I like to, to have that vitamin D in the 60s. And um, um, there, are still, there are still people walking around in the U.S., those are the, the numbers we're using, um, who, who are down in the teens and even down uh, you know, at 12 and 13. And uh, quite often their doctors don't even say anything because they don't know what to say. But this is a serious problem. This is a very, very serious problem. Uh, we have a, an increased cancer risk, too, uh, from yeah. reading the vitamin D solution, Dr. Michael Holick, especially the reproductive cancers. And I think one of the stats was that uh, people of African descent have an 84% increased rate of reproductive cancer, and that's because they're particularly harmed by the uh, the inability to manufacture vitamin D from sunlight, being that they're living at a disparate latitude from ancestral equatorial ancestry. Well, it's that and the and the skin. The darker the skin, the more sunlight we need to get adequate vitamin D. And and by the way, it it, it should be obvious, but I, I need to mention it. We get our vitamin D from the sun. That's our best and and most primary source of vitamin D. Um, we don't get it from junk food. It's it's fortified in junk food. Um, it's nice to get vitamin D in supplemental form from an animal source, vitamin uh, D from animal foods. Um, there seems to be a genetic requirement for both the, the food source, the best one being from animals, and the sunlight. But primarily, we get our, our vitamin D from sunlight. And if you if you uh, uh, have a low vitamin D and you decide you're going to, you know, get a nice tan without burning, of course, uh, and then, you know, a few months later you get your vitamin D checked and it hasn't budged, then you've got a, you've got a problem and you've got to figure that out or you've got to find a doctor who can help you figure it out because sometimes um, to get going, to get your levels to a a, a, a a level where the the sun can now kind of take over, you might have to get an injection of, of 50,000 or more 
units of vitamin vitamin D because you're so deficient, your body's resistant against against it. And and we see that this is this is common in people who are over fat because increased body fat prevents vitamin D utilization um, from the sun. So this is not not unusual. Whew. More information at philmaffetone.com. You can get your vitamin D. I love the newsletter, too. So sign up for the newsletter. You get something, it seems like once a week, some really thoughtful articles, not just blather and marketing marketing fodder, but really uh, informative, standalone pieces. So you're doing a great job there, Phil. We appreciate thanks. you so much, and thanks for spending time on the show. philmaffetone.com. Go check it out, people. Thank you, Brad. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the show. We would love your feedback at getoveryourselfpodcast at gmail.com. And we would also love if you could leave a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. I know it's a hassle. You have to go to desktop iTunes, click on the tab that says ratings and reviews, and then click to rate the show anywhere from five to five stars. And it really helps spread the word so more people can find the show and get over themselves, because they need to. Thanks for doing it. Let's talk about probiotics from Integro Health. Do you want me to sing the messages? Nah. But probiotics are an extremely important concept. Hopefully you're all in on the values, the benefits of nourishing a healthy gut microbiome so you can flourish in life And that's the name of Integro's product, Flourish, a unique, extremely potent living liquid probiotic. Yes, it's liquid form. How is it different from other probiotics we usually see in pills? This is the message from Integro. Microbes continue to thrive and metabolize in their own milieu. Do you like when companies use the word milieu to describe their product? I do. These include short-chain fatty acids, bioactive peptides, amino acids, enzymes, and minerals. The liquid base makes it acid-stable, so microbes can survive the stomach environment and transit to the lower GI tract for integration to give you a healthy gut microbiome. There's 11 different strains in this thing, carefully hand-cultivated in the laboratory with precision to deliver 8 billion total CFU. Why take probiotics? Come on, you have to ask. It's going to strengthen your immune function, reduce systemic inflammation, the root cause of all disease, improve digestion, promote bowel regularity, relieve gas and bloating, get you going again after illness or antibiotic use. That's me because I first got this shipment the very day I returned home from a Mexican vacation and had a stomach illness once again. What a bummer. So sad because I love going down south, but I needed to repair and return to action quickly. So I started guzzling this stuff and had a wonderful return to health. I'm a very enthusiastic user and will be over the long run because I need all the help I can get. I don't know about you when we're talking about our routine usage of antibiotics, the stress we put on our system and in the environment every single day. I especially notice my gut health is compromised when I engage in overly intensive athletic training, have trouble recovering. My gut is the first thing to go. So this is my go-to product, the Flourish Probiotic in liquid form. Try it yourself. I love the delicious root beer float flavor. 
just kidding, man. This stuff is no funny business. This is the real deal. It's very potent. It tastes fine. It goes down okay, but no Reaper Float flavor. Sorry. Take it. You'll love it. Go look at IntegroHealth.com for more information and to order shipped directly to your door in its unique liquid form. Flourish.